0: listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Hello and welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law and with me is my co hostess with the mostest, Paul Doroshenko.
1: Yes, and now it is actually getting to the end of August. I've been anticipating the end of August. Why? I don't know. Last week I was all, hmm, August is wrapping up. I think people struggle at this time of the year because of the seasonal change and a lot of anxiety with respect to kids going back to school. And what's going to happen in September? We're in a pandemic. I forget about that sometimes when I'm like walking into the office and I haven't put my mask on yet.
0: I don't feel that. I mean, I end of the year for summer, it's just another day for me. I don't have kids. I don't worry about back to school. The thing that gets me is I know that my commute's going to get shittier because traffic's going to increase. But we're in the middle of a pandemic, so it's not going to be as bad as it was last year at the end of summer. So...
1: You you don't have anxiety, then. You don't have end-of-August anxiety.
0: I don't have end-of-August anxiety. Don't worry. I have all my usual regular anxiety. Soul-crushing, crippling stress.
1: Hey, you chose this profession, (laughs) (laughs) honey.
0: It chose me. Uh, Anyway, speaking of things that are soul-crushing and crippling, Paul... How That's great. Just kidding. Um, speaking of things that are soul-crushing and crippling, remember in the pandemic when they suspended road tests?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. When they stopped doing road tests, now they're they're trying to deal with the backlog.
0: They're trying to deal with the backlog. And they promised we're opening up new road test slots. We're going to schedule more of them. We're hiring more examiners. They made this big announcement when they were doing it that they were going to be able to deal with the backlog as of the time of recording this podcast, would you like to know the earliest date in all of British Columbia that you can get a road test?
1: Yes, I would like to know that.
0: January 2021.
1: Oh my goodness, that is really cruel to those people who are waiting. Imagine you're you're 17 years old, you've been dying to get your license, you're starting school, you planned with your family that you'd be able to drive because your parents have to work from home and can't drive and Oh, that yeah. is not fair.
0: Isn't that awful?
1: That is not fair.
0: I know. So,
1: But they're hiring like 150 examiners or something. And like I don't know where they're going to get those people. I don't no. know how they're going to train those people. I don't know how they're going to deal with that. And that's without... going to
0: happen to fix the even worse backlog that they're going to have by the time January rolls around. Because, of course, every single day that passes, there's more people eligible to take road tests that can't.
1: Oh, they're going to have to put some real money into this. This is not fair to people.
0: Real money from where? They're burning ICBC dumpster fire?
1: How much do they charge for a road test? Is there a fee? There has to be a fee.
0: There is a fee. When I did my road test years ago, uh, it was $70.
1: Well, I don't know what they're charging, but uh, I'll tell you. Inflation is happening. Mm -hmm. inflation is happening big time uh i'm looking at the grocery store and looking at my grocery bill but actually just looking at each individual item and i'm surprised how much things have gone up and we are going to see this across the board interestingly retail sales rebounded and they've had some of the best retail sales um in the last few months although there's lots of stores closing like fashion stores and things like that but you know what's been selling what treated lumber because everybody's building a deck and everybody's doing something at home. There's a big shortage of treated lumber. I went down to the hardware store. But you to built the, me a deck. The, yeah, back in the day when you could still get treated lumber. I was, now it was I, like a month ago. Now I'm going to take that deck back. I'm going to go disassemble it and try <laughs> and sell that, resell that treated lumber.
0: Okay. Um, so no, it's the end of summer, so that's
1: fine. I'm, I had to go back and buy some more treated lumber for another location. I spent like $2,000 on treated lumber this summer. Um, and I went to go buy some more and they said, look, we're just out we're just out. So, okay. um, there was, uh, the next time there's a pandemic, uh, all the, uh, lumber companies, apparently like sawmills are, have been running full time in in this province and, uh, flat out to, to meet the demand for treated lumber in the States.
0: Well, if only I owned a sawmill.
1: That's your first thought. Yeah. Yeah. My first thought was I need some more treated lumber. Where am I going to get my treated lumber? We've got to run on treated lumber. People should be lining up now for treated lumber instead of, you know, toilet paper. Apparently toilet paper was starting to get a run the other day uh, in some stores as a result of the uh, increased numbers that we're seeing in British Columbia.
0: Well, I have a package of toilet paper. I've got eight rolls, so I'm good for a while.
1: I'm sure you are. You'll make it. You can always go to the office to go to the washroom. (laughs)
0: you just want to get me into work um i go into work almost every day of my life uh okay so moving on i wanted to talk about the other sort of big news this week that i know is not immediately related to driving law and that's the overdose deaths because yet again we've seen record-breaking numbers for opioid overdose deaths in this province. And Dr. Bonnie Henry delivered the bad news recently. She gave a statement. She was tearful as she talked about it. But it just pisses me
1: off. Why? Because... I mean, that pisses me off too, but what is what is the reason it pisses you off?
0: Well, I mean, it pisses me off for all of the obvious reasons, but, you know, we have, last week we talked about mandatory testing being found constitutional in Saskatchewan, and the judge talking about how methods of dealing with this problem of impaired driving and the death and carnage and the death and carnage and the death and carnage carnage that have been tried and have failed. And this is what we hear consistently. This is the consistent lie that our government tells us, that impaired driving deaths Are the number one cause of criminal death in Canada. And it's fucking lies.
1: Well, the fentanyl deaths, every death is a criminal death because they're using something that is a criminal substance. Uh, it's a controlled it's, substance it's not people who are it's prescribed fentanyl,
0: fentanyl who, who are, are overdosing yeah. accidentally no at it's, home. i mean
1: it's illegally obtained fentanyl um it's uh, it's, it's drugs
0: a, that are tainted with fentanyl
1: and it's um it's a controlled substance they're possessing a controlled substance which thankfully we're not charging people for for simple possession because we don't want them to uh be discouraged from going to safe places to use it but
0: well that's only a new policy
1: I know, I recognize that. But my point is that, um, yes, there is a crime every time. And when the fentanyl crisis was just starting and people were just learning the word fentanyl, and we're talking like five years ago now, I was a regular commentator on BC1. uh, And I I don't know why. I mean, they had me in there regularly, like every week. And one of the things that I talked about was charging people with criminal negligence, causing death, if you can track back where Mm -hmm. they bought it. Mm -hmm. and they have done that before in cocaine deaths in Alberta. Really? Uh, Yep. I researched it before then. Uh, There was one matter that was before the court. I don't know what happened with it, but I hoped that that would be the thing that might provide some deterrent, and that's why I was uh, advocating for that, basically. I mean, yeah, I guess I was advocating for it. I think people should be charged if you can figure out Um, who sold it to them. The problem that you've got is that you've got somebody who's doing the drugs with the person and you don't want to discourage them from calling authorities when somebody's in an overdose situation.
0: Right, but we have legislation now to deal with that.
1: We do, we do. Um, But, you know, I would like to see some people charged who are these dealers who are providing it.
0: Uh, See, that's not, you know, I, I, I share your view that the people who are mixing up the poison drug supply and creating a whole new brand of addicts on a a hugely addictive and extremely cheap for the drug dealer's substance are horrible and there should be some type of consequence. But I don't think that's where we should be spending our resources. First of all, it's so hard to investigate. It's hard to prosecute. There's charter issues, blah, blah, blah. I think we need to be looking at the type of ways that we've dealt with impaired driving, And look at applying that to circumstances involving overdose deaths. The same way that we...
1: You You better give me an example because I don't see any way that we can do that.
0: Well, in British Columbia, rather than forcing you into uh, a criminal case and bringing your matter through the court, people are diverted out of court. They're put through an administrative process. The administrative process encourages rehabilitation by making people take that bullshit stroke course.
1: Um, you're talking about an immediate roadside prohibition yes so how are you going to do some equivalent for for possession or use or whatever of fentanyl Mm -hmm. trafficking fentanyl that's
0: not for trafficking but maybe for the users maybe put them onto a, a treatment program that provides them with a safe supply that slowly weans them off over time you know they just installed in the downtown east side new drug vending machines. So they've got more people. It's an expansion of the existing pilot project with one drug vending machine where people go, they take their palm, they scan it, and it provides them with their daily dose of hydromorphone so that they aren't buying tainted drugs. It's free, it's safe, it's saving lives. But there's only so many people that can get their drugs from that one machine. There's only so many people on the pilot program. They're expanding it but why not turn it into like an administrative thing where you're forced onto the program but by the benefit of being forced onto the program is you get free drugs if they give you narcan and they wake you up boom you're on the program you get free drugs you get clean drugs you get weaned off so you get better you get opportunities for treatment
1: you're talking about deaths basically on the downtown east side. People who are living on the streets and in the in the old hotels. Well, they would have to do it everywhere to make that happen. Um, and that's a huge invasion of privacy. You're going to do it just on the basis of the fact that there's one overdose. You're going to force everybody into a circumstance where they have to then go get their drugs from a government place that's tracking them by their palm.
0: Yeah, you get one IRP. You have to then go forced to attend a class, disclose your entire history of alcohol consumption, your medical records you sign over authorization to give Stroh access to. They okay. get all of that information about you. They do an invasive interview. You're required to attend some courses.
1: You don't have to do any of that if you don't want to drive again.
0: Yes, but driving, as you well know, is an important part of most people's lives. They need their licenses to get to work to perform their jobs, to look after their children, to get around in rural communities. But,
1: uh, you have been, with, with great strength of argument, vitriolic argument, you have opposed this. Yeah. You have opposed the Stroh collection of information and their, well, their authorization that lets them obtain any medical information about you. Sure. uh with the and consent d- of the government for and use for any reason that they want down the road with the consent of the government and that people are compelled to do it you have you have opposed this strongly and now you're talking about palm scans um and uh and everybody having to provide a palm scan
0: the palm scan is only for the purposes of getting your drugs out of the machine and
1: but- then and then they know how many times you've shown up and they can check in their in their well, you get a certain dose a day. Yeah, so they can see oh yeah, this, you know, so and so is using it every day.
0: Yeah. But I'd rather somebody use clean drugs every day than risky drugs every day.
1: It's the it's the it's the long arm of the government being able to maintain this look, information and 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 I have no confidence in their ability to keep it uh, safe.
0: But look, Paul, right now The long arm of the government maintains all sorts of similar information about people. Like, how often they show up to hospitals to get administered Narcan. Right? Hospitals are run by government. It's all government connected.
1: Yeah, and I'm worried about that too.
0: But also, I agree. It's an invasion of privacy. I agree. It's not, you know, necessarily charter compliant. I agree it's flawed. But look at the way that the courts have basically consistently turned a blind eye to those invasions of privacy, those arbitrary detentions, those forcing people into programs that they don't need to do um, necessarily because maybe this was a first one-off incident where they weren't handling an emotional situation correctly. All of the things we know that get people into impaired driving incidents, or maybe they're somebody with COPD who wasn't able to provide a sample, who wasn't able to put the right... Information before the adjudicator to have their prohibition revoked, and they're actually innocent. I mean, we know, but we also know, and we've seen consistently with with Sivia, with Goodwin, with Bro, with um, with Wilson, with uh, the the Bach case, all of those cases, Lemieux, all of those cases, the courts have said it's fine because it saves lives. And if you take that same type of rhetoric that they use to consistently justify those invasions of your liberty and your privacy and your charter rights in impaired driving cases, and you apply it to something where there is actually a crisis level of people dying that the government is doing diddly squat about, I'm not gonna have as much of a big issue with it because the courts are gonna find it constitutional, right?
1: Well here's my thing. I could design an IRP scheme that would be fair. I could design one that would be much more reliable uh than what we've got and I could design one that's work. not nearly as onerous. But that I Yeah, I'd well be the, yeah, work. the reason you're you've got a uh job doing this is because it's it's outrageous. We'd
0: have to wrap up the podcast. What would we talk about? That
1: would be the end. But the point is that um <sighs> the, the 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 courts I, and I disagree with it entirely have never taken a a critical view at of these um steps taken by government they They just like rubber stamp anything that the government wants to do if it's the threat is drunk driving, and you're right. they might rubber stamp everything the government wants to do when the threat is tainted drugs, but is that what we want? Do we want to encourage that? Do we want the 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 court to go further and give the government more? Uh, totalitarianish uh, powers, like they've got when it comes to drunk driving.
0: You know what I bet, though. You know what I, I honestly, in the heart of my hearts, believe that if they did something similar for like drug impaired or drug overdose prevention, if they did that, that it would not pass constitutional muster. That it would be struck down, and you know why? Because generally as a society we don't value the lives of street drug users and i would think that the court would have
1: but all the all the evidence could be all the evidence could be put before the court about the fact that this is also regular people in their you know in their condominiums who are dying and there's people all over the place i mean it is mostly men um but it's like up from it's construction workers a lot of construction workers who are injured and then uh, start needing it to deal with pain uh it's lots of people who work in the oil field and and um and people who are living in apartment buildings in Vancouver and in Surrey and you name it yeah so i i i don't know that i agree with you there i do agree that i think the court would look at it with greater scrutiny than they look at drunk driving laws i mean it's i i often shocked at the lack of scrutiny when it comes to the, con- right? the consideration of charter uh, charter principles when it comes in, in impaired driving legislation and investigations but um, and, and and you're right in that respect but you just seem to want it for the sake of calling out the court on their hypocrisy.
0: Not the court the government really. Well
1: okay whatever. Um,
0: the government hasn't tried that's the thing that pisses me off they haven't tried they've literally done nothing like the only thing that our government has done is said okay we'll we'll Make it legal now for doctors to prescribe people opiates so that they can um, have clean drugs during their addiction. But then you have to find doctors who are willing to do it. You have to find a doctor in the middle of a pandemic. You have to have money to go to the drugstore and fill that prescription.
1: BC government has declared a healthcare emergency when it comes yeah, to the BC fentanyl, has and they've done, done it a, a while ago. Uh, yeah, I know, but we still have, I think, one of the worst in Canada, uh, fentanyl overdose situations. And the problem, of course, is that people—it's—it's it's them in the privacy of their home using the drugs to deal with whatever
0: well, their, their pain,
1: their brain, their addiction.
0: The downtown east side, and we have people that come. To British Columbia for our lax stance on prosecuting drug offenses just generally. um, And also the nice weather. It's a lot easier to be homeless here than it is in Winnipeg.
1: For sure. Different point than what I was making. But we still have this ongoing crisis. The government has had the tools because of the state of emergency. Um, The tools, you know, one gets the sense, are not working Um, when we have our, you know, our chief medical officer coming out and almost in tears because the number of fentanyl deaths all the time, somebody's child, I've had clients, uh, who we've lost to fentanyl. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, it it is, and that was horrible, horrible for the family and also horrible for me. I, you know, I, people I liked, um, and we, 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 haven't got any good solution. You're Right. As the government sought to use um, the punitive power that they've established that they have with respect to drinking driving legislation? I don't know that it's, I mean, you're, you're...
0: Well, then don't use the punitive power, but stop telling the fucking lie. Stop telling the lie that impaired driving is the leading criminal cause of death in Canada. Like, let people know the Diff- truth. Different
1: issue, but I agree with you 100% on that. Well, it's
0: not a different issue, because the reason people are so, you know, the reason there's so much of a stigma now in our society about impaired driving is because that messaging has been consistently going for years and years and years.
1: Mothers Against Drunk Driving is a huge lobby group. They pressure the government. They they provide money to candidates We well, uh, mothers are...
0: for a safe supply. Forget it. I'm going to start it. I'm not a mother, but I believe in a safe supply.
1: No, Mothers Against Drunk Driving is easy, easy, easy to be able to, to get money. They're one of the, the wealthiest quote-unquote charitable organizations uh, in North America. They get tons and tons of money. They get to put donation boxes in liquor stores. They get the ear of any politician at any time. Because nobody wants to cross them. And then anytime some legislation is proposed that looks like it's going to be harsher on drunk driving, if it's backed by Mothers Against Drunk Driving, everybody votes for it. So Mothers Against Drunk Driving is the main reason that we have what we've got. It's not good. It's not thoughtful. It's not fair. Uh, It's not legislation that I can stand by.
0: Nothing's fair.
1: The world isn't fair.
0: No, it's true. The world is not
1: fair. I actually have to say that fairly regularly to people. I will ask them, how old are you? When they're calling me and they are looking for fairness. And if they're in their 20s, I'm quite sympathetic. But if you get somebody who's in their late 30s, 40s, 50s, and they say, well, it's really unfair, I'm usually telling them, honestly, you've made it to age 48 and you still think the world is that something in the world is fair or that fairness is a is a is a driving function of our society it's not you're just trying to survive as a biological creature on the planet don't expect it to be fair you're not 10.
0: switching topics
1: oh nice segue Yes. Switching
0: topics. (laughs) It's not fair. There's not gonna be good segues every time.
1: (laughs) Well you could have just said, you know, Well, the world isn't fair and I want to talk about this case that's not necessarily fair either, but from somebody's perspective.
0: I was gonna say you don't even know the case. I don't. Tell me about it. Well, it's a case involving uh my favorite lawyer that I don't know that I've ever met. Bert King. Oh, Bert. Yeah,
1: Bert's the man. Bert's the man. <laughs> um, I right, we we're that's a joke. We had a we had a yeah. client years ago who who had hired Bert King at some point, and I don't know why Bert was he was hiring us instead of Bert King after that, and and we were asking him why, and he said, "Well,
0: Bert's the man.
1: Bert's the man. Why would you hire Bert before Bert's the man? Well, why are you hiring us? I don't know. Why don't you go back to Bert? Bert's the man. I don't know." <laughs> Anyway. Oh, that's the man, I love it.
0: Um, anyway, Burt King. A uh, case uh, involving an individual, uh, uh, Premi Sandhu, uh, who was charged with dangerous driving, flight from police, and impaired driving. But a very interesting defense advanced in this case. So he argued basically like an involuntary intoxication thing, that he had had combined gabapentin, which is a prescription painkiller, but it's a nerve-blocking painkiller, not an opiate painkiller. Um, my dog takes gabapentin. There you go. Yeah, Wrigley. Um, he'd hire, he'd, he was taking gabapentin, and he mixed it with alcohol, and it made him intoxicated in such a way that he had no conscious decision-making power and ended up uh, driving the way that he did and fleeing from police. Now, he lost on those charges because he didn't provide any psychiatric or psychological evidence uh, to show that he was essentially, like, not operating of a sound mind at the time. But he was also charged, as I said, with impaired driving. And in the impaired driving charge, he uh, argued that because he took the gabapentin and the alcohol together and didn't know about whether they would interact in a negative way and whether the gabapentin would make him more impaired when he was drinking. He had a defense to the impaired driving charge because it was essentially involuntary intoxication. And he succeeded.
1: We ran this, um, myself and um, Brian Michelson, in about 2000, and we lost.
0: It's Involuntary intoxication is incredibly hard to succeed on. But this one worked.
1: We had a good case, too.
0: Well, in this case...
1: And it was somebody who had uh, switched out the medication. Uh, replaced the Tylenol with Tylenol 3. He's a roommate. What? Yeah. We how ran it and lost. Have, how could he lose lost. on that?
0: That he would know that it was different?
1: No. I don't know. I can't remember how. And it wasn't a credibility thing, either. It was just... Didn't buy it, somehow. I can't remember what it was.
0: Huh. Well, anyway, this guy takes his gabapentin. Has a bunch of... bunch of drinks.
1: I thought uh, he should have won. I was like,
0: uh, I was reading this decision young co counsel. So surprised that this individual succeeded because he'd never consumed alcohol when taking gabapentin before. He'd never felt intoxicated by taking gabapentin because it's actually not impairing. Um, and no one had warned him that he shouldn't take al- alcohol and gabapentin together. But he also never researched it. And the court like repeatedly, when you're reading the decision. Um, The court repeatedly says, this is grossly and horribly careless, and uh, grossly and inexcusably careless. And if he had made um, uh, inquiries, um, then, you know, I would be satisfied that the carelessness was sufficient to establish the necessary mens rea. But the reason he succeeded was that even though he made no inquiries, even though he was just like, I'm going to take my gabapentin with booze and see what happens. Um, The Crown never provided any evidence to show that if he had asked that taking gabapentin with alcohol would cause him to have this type of a reaction.
1: That he would have known.
0: That he would then have known. So there was like this ridiculous How's gap. the Crown
1: going to establish that when they don't know what the... I mean, they would have had to call evidence after he had testified, I guess.
0: Yeah, well, this trial took place over one, two, three, four, five, six, seven days.
1: So, so I guess the Crown could have called evidence about that. Yeah. If he had asked, if he had researched it, he would have found out that the, this particular medication when mixed with alcohol causes this.
0: Yeah. And... It, the it,
1: Crown will appeal that.
0: Maybe, but like they tried to put in a Wikipedia article about gabapentin as evidence in the case. Oh, so the
1: crown recognized the obligation. They just
0: didn't do it right because the Wikipedia article said nothing about mixing the two. Oh. Um and.
1: How do they put it in anyway?
0: I have no idea.
1: A Wikipedia article. A Wikipedia I mean, article. All you have to do is go get one <laughs> of like, the.
0: Man, I tried to cite Wikipedia in university and I got my hand slapped.
1: Use the Merck Manual of Medical Information. It probably has it in there and lays it all out, and it's a reliable source.
0: The Crown also tried to argue that he was essentially willfully blind, that he made a conscious choice to refrain from making any inquiries so that he would never know. Good argument. But there was a problem in that nobody asked him about it in cross-examination. Oh. Oopsie. So, I don't think Crown's going to appeal, because they made a, a strategic and tactical error. Yeah. In fact, they made two strategic and tactical errors. One, not calling any expert evidence, like a doctor, to say, oh, yes, well, you know, uh, any doctor would advise you, blah, blah, blah. Or a pharmacist, well, you know, it's written on the bottle, do not mix with alcohol, or anything like that. Um,
1: Did he present the um, the bottle? No. Because usually that's the next question the crown will ask. Do you right. have the medication Can bottle?
0: Can you show me the Can bottle? Can you
1: show me the bottle? And half the time there's a sticker on there. The <laughs>
0: big sticker on the side. Do, Do not, not mix, mix with alcohol. alcohol. See, I'll just present my dog's bottle if I'm ever in that situation. Yeah. Miss Lee, this appears to be prescribed to a Wrigley Lee. Oh, yeah, that's my nickname. me and my doctor's super tight. Yeah, there you go. <laughs>
1: that's it. That's it. Just, if you're testifying, Kyla, in your own defense, <laughs> yeah. go ahead and lie. Yeah, <laughs>
0: That was obviously a stupid hypothetical that would never happen because A, I wouldn't be in that situation, and B, I wouldn't present my you've, dog. You've never mixed drugs galopentin. with alcohol?
1: You've never mixed drugs with alcohol?
0: And then gotten behind the wheel?
1: Well, every time I've mixed drugs with alcohol, I've still maintained enough sense to not get behind the wheel.
0: Yeah. Um, so yeah, the the court essentially says that even though he was basically reckless in what he did, his recklessness did not amount to sufficient proof of impaired driving in the circumstance.
1: Every time I've mixed drugs with alcohol, I've always maintained enough um, of my senses to know not to drive. Um, When I was younger though, uh, you know, 18, 19, I didn't always make the right decision with respect to alcohol and driving. But I wasn't, uh, you know, a careless alcohol drug mixer at any point in my life. Careless
0: alcohol drug mixer. But see, that's the thing. He won because he was a careless alcohol drug mixer.
1: Yeah, I I don't want to be in that situation.
0: The court actually said that his gross and inexcusable carelessness was only recklessness. And recklessness is not a high enough mens rea standard to prove... Impaired driving. So
1: they basically had to put the willful blindness to him, and they didn't do and it. And they didn't do it.
0: But if they if they were like, you didn't look it up, you didn't ask anyone because you didn't want to know. But you thought at the back of your mind, maybe I shouldn't mix these two things.
1: the think about this, some of these complex defenses that you know you're running it and you're trying to figure out what do I have to prove, what do I ha- what evidence do I have to put in, what you know, how do I come at this, and then in the end something sticks. It's like. You know, oh, throw it all out there and hope that something sticks. And they
0: did. They I, I just discovered how they. Got That's the why Bert's the king, I guess. Why they, how they <laughs> got the Wikipedia article in?
1: They did get it they in. They
0: put it in through an expert. Oh, okay. The expert referred to a Wikipedia article. Oh, so I want to go back to my earlier point. I couldn't file a Wikipedia article as a source in one of my papers in university, but an expert can in court.
1: So they did call an expert then. Yes. And they, but they just didn't put it to the guy that he didn't research it, and he just never thought about well, researching it. and the expert
0: was, was Carolyn Kirkwood, so she can't answer the question of what a doctor would have told him or what a pharmacist would have told him if he'd made reasonable inquiries about mixing the two. Because she doesn't know. She's not a doctor or a pharmacist. She's a toxicologist. And, like, so most it, people uh, don't have a toxicologist to phone up and, and say, hey, you know, if I mix these two things, what's going to happen to me? I do. You do. Burp. Who's the man does.
1: <laughs> how? Why the heck was Carolyn Kirkwood referring to a Wikipedia article?
0: Isn't that the real question in this trial? Yeah, I'm
1: sitting here like <laughs> she should be able to just testify about what gabapentin.
0: the effect is. Like, if I know what gabapentin is, and I am not an expert.
1: And why would, but why, I mean, she should be able to refer to a study. She should be able to refer to a NHTSA manual. She should there be able to refer to. There must
0: be a study. Something. On the combination yeah. of alcohol and, and, and gabapentin. And I'm
1: sure if you go to the Wikipedia article, it probably lists citations at the bottom.
0: Yeah. Yeah, So exactly. why is she putting in a, Wiki, why, are they, why is the crown putting mask in. She <laughs> to her research the same way I did. Everybody. By copying Wikipedia Yeah, see, citations. there
1: was, when I was in university, there was no such thing as Wikipedia. Well. I started university without a computer. I used a typewriter for my first paper. So that
0: must have been very heavy, bringing that from class to class to take notes. Well, that was a that was a
1: like the the basically a, an early laptop.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's what I used to call it, my laptop.
0: Yeah, but how would you call it your laptop if laptops didn't exist then?
1: No, there was laptops. I just didn't have any money. I had a typewriter. Well, maybe still you in my have office have had there.
0: Had less beer combined with drugs.
1: Uh, less beer. I, I didn't combine it with drugs. But I had I drank so little relative to you know I was, uh, somebody came to me the other day um, a, a young lawyer in our office and um, said uh, that they're not drinking any any less since becoming a lawyer and kind of thought that maybe the amount that uh, this person was drinking beforehand and they're not they don't have a drinking problem or anything so it seems to be quite under control but they kind of thought that that was a, a student stress thing for the last fifteen years and that growing out of. Uh, 10 years or whatever it took for school and uh, law school and articles and then becoming a lawyer would sort of be growing out of that <laughs> and, and I, I had to relay the story that my mother's husband told me when he became more successful he said I became more successful it did not lead to less drinking uh, it led to it being easier for me to purchase alcohol uh, because I could afford to do it so if anything being successful led to more drinking which is really too bad being
0: um, successful led to drinking better because you drank nicer drinks
1: not necessarily with me I still yeah, drink no. the same hooch you but still the, drink um,
0: the same cheap beer
1: well I drink the same cheap beer but I do drink nice scotch but the um uh, yeah I, I it's true I mean I when I was in uh university I had a six pack a week damn and that was it because that's all I could afford and you'd think that I would have, like, just found some cheap drugs to mix with it. But you didn't. I never I, I, you know, most of my life, aside from uh, the odd social situation where I overdid it, most of my life I've not consumed alcohol for the sake of the enjoying the impairing effects.
0: I, you know, like, I don't drink really anymore. I have been drinking a bit during the pandemic because drinking makes me feel like crap, but eh. I'm not doing anything, so... Oh, <laughs> well,
1: you're working. But...
0: I'm working now, but like on the weekends and stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, I, take, I was taking a day off a week.
1: Yeah, but you weren't drinking. You've never... I've never seen you consume any alcohol during a work day. No. And I've never seen you consume... I mean, I've had a glass of wine.
0: Why would I drink during the work day? i got work to do.
1: No, but I've had a glass of wine at lunch on days that I have really a light work in the afternoon. Yeah. Because I persuaded myself that That I should be able to enjoy that, and then every time I've done it, it's like it's been—I guess once a year. Would you say once a year?
0: I find you napping at your desk at three (laughs) p.m.
1: One glass of wine, once a year, Um, four ounce glass of wine, napping at my desk.
0: I've I've been—I've been drinking more during the pandemic. More than zero is is more.
1: Well, don't mix it with drugs.
0: No, I won't. Um. So last thing, speaking of stress and what was it we were talking about at the beginning the crippling struggles i just noticed a lot
1: of people are really stressed out and um, it it happens every time at this year uh every year at this time i found um just dealing with people in the office clients and so forth um but this year of course we have a pandemic to make it that much worse
0: well this ridiculous driver of the week (laughs) The Ridiculous Driver of the Week (laughs) is quite some response to a stressful situation. All right, tell me about it. So, did you know, Paul, that the Vancouver police own, like, this armored car that's basically a tank? Yes. It's insane. They call it, like, the bear or the beast or something. Like, it's got some scary paramilitary-esque nickname.
1: Yeah, police forces buy themselves these things with some regularity. They put they basically justify it. They justify. It. Well, I mean, you never know when you might have another riot. <gasps> well, um, they
0: needed it this time.
1: Well, they uh, they, they usually have like twenty five kilometers on them uh, a year <laughs> because that's, hopefully ICPC is giving them a real break of insurance.
0: Pick, pick them up at the police auction. It's got five hundred kilometers on yeah, it. Yeah, that's the thing. Like,
1: <laughs> I don't know what happens I mean, to I them. This but one. no, they, I, I, Edmonton had one 35 years one. ago.
0: I want one now. <laughs> anyway, um, so they used it for this what? Week to respond to a guy who had locked himself in his house and was refusing to leave. It was a mental health call.
1: So they sent out they sent their out armored their vehicle,
0: insane armored car, drove it through the city streets of East Vancouver to get to this guy's house because he was locked in there and refusing to leave. But you know, it's okay, Paul. They justified it. Do you want to know why? Why? Because the man had outstanding warrants for immigration.
1: So therefore you need a <laughs> an armored vehicle. Yes. You know, there's senior <laughs> and retired <laughs> police officers I talk to and they hear stories like this. And every time they cringe and they like their heads in their hands.
0: They like uh, bored. Like it's a pandemic. All our colleagues in the U.S. get to drive around their armored cars and shoot at stuff. Why can't we?
1: Pretty much. Yeah.
0: Like... I, what persuades you that that's like i mean maybe there's some information that hasn't been released like the guy had a bazooka but i doubt it
1: yeah i mean i don't know watching and He
0: also had a warrant for uttering threats but like you know that's just popping off your mouth it's like the standard thing it's yeah. like half the half <laughs> many, the half, half the files people? down at
1: main yeah. street courthouse at any given time is a, a uh, warrant for somebody uttering threats
0: how many people have they arrested for uttering threats
1: I used to, sometimes I'd go home from school and I'd be very angry when I was in university. I'd get back to my apartment and I, I'd be like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not leaving anywhere. And then I'd realize, hey, I'm holed up in my apartment. Maybe I should phone the police so they can come and surround me because I'm holed up in my apartment and not going anywhere. I mean, like, it's ridiculous. A lot of the time, just go away. The guy's going to go eventually to Seven Eleven or he's going to go buy some groceries. Go back there. Yeah, Indiana wants me. Yeah. The... Uh, <laughs>
0: I'd be singing that. I'd be like, fuck it. <laughs>
1: I know. I mean, like, I've it, it, it's so It's ridiculous. not going to happen to me. It's but,
0: hilarious. But
1: you're, you're sitting there, you're the person in the house, and you're wondering to yourself, like.
0: That's how you escalate a situation with somebody who's having a mental health moment. Yeah. Who has some outstanding warrants. You want him out of the house? Bring the tank. Yeah. That'll persuade him. And they fired stuff at his house, too. They were, like, shooting at the house. With a tank. With their tank thing.
1: Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. So the Vancouver, Vancouver police are police. the ridiculous drivers of the week.
0: You are the ridiculous driver. Driving of
1: around the week. with their tank.
0: Dubious honor. Put your tank in the garage where it belongs. Sell it to me, please.
1: <laughs> you don't need a tank. Can you imagine the gas? It probably gets about two miles to the gallon. Yeah,
0: but you know what? Everybody'd get out of my way on Kingsway in the morning. I'd never have to worry about traffic. And then all of my end of summer stress would be gone.
1: Uh,. None of that is logical. <laughs> None of that makes any sense. And I can tell you it wouldn't be pleasant to drive it, I'm sure. But exciting! My dad used to drive an armored car when he was uh, in the reserves. Cool. As he likes to tell me every once in a while. Okay.
0: Yeah. Well, now you're telling me, so now the you cycle know. continues. <laughs> tell the world, Horatio, tell the world. Uh, that's our podcast, Paul.
1: Yep. Uh. End of August. Next week will be September and so does, every we will have turned a page
0: Does that mean that we'll see you
1: in, in September, September. <laughs> See you when the summer school is oh. through Here we are saying goodbye Bye bye so if you long, need to farewell. reach us
0: please give us a call at 604. Oh God,
1: that was really bad impromptu was singing. Terrible. That was awful. <laughs>
0: was 604-685-8889. We promise not to serenade you. And you can find us online. Can, really, can we really
1: make that promise?
0: We cannot. You may want to just find us online then. Vancouvercriminallaw.com where you have to voluntarily click to hear our music. <laughs>